Hi guys, I'm Marie. And I'm Maddie. And we are here recording Lost in the Woods. Yep. Welcome back. Although today's episode is Lost at the Beach, I guess. So. Okay. You um, know. I don't know about anybody else, but I just checked my bank account and I think <laughs> I want to cry now. <laughs> I'm not okay. Christmas did a da- did did a number. And yet she still has more in her savings than me. She's just talking about like her actual checking account you guys yeah. not her savings oh, yeah. account okay yes <laughs> yes i do have i do have enough to sustain myself off of my savings account but my checking only has $19 in it currently <laughs> and usually her checking has so, like a couple thousand so it's a little scary it's a little her. terrifying yeah. and we're also like making purchases for our trip that we're taking next week yeah i went to go like we're doing like this cute little clear kayaking thing and <laughs> I went to go pay like the $200 that it's going to cost for us to do it. My card got declined and I was like, what the hell? This is She's like, mom, transfer me money quick. So we're like doing all this like shady transferring stuff like while we're trying to pay for like Airbnbs and kayaking. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It doesn't make me want to cry at all. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Maddie and I are currently planning our trip uh, to cover one of our cases. It's going to be on our Patreon. We're doing four days. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be doing some hiking and some backpacking and some adventuring and all sorts of fun things. So Yes. So like our other trips that we've taken, if you're new to the podcast or just haven't seen any of our extra footage because you're not a Patreon... Um, all of that footage goes on to our Patreon, which we've taken multiple other trips, and you can see all of that on our Patreon, which is live footage of us checking out the crime scenes and the staying, area. Yeah, staying at the campsites, uh, doing the hikes, going to the places, all that fun stuff. Seeing dead bodies. It's really great. Technically, that only happened once. Okay. Anyway, so. but it <laughs> happened. It did. I am traumatized. I'm still I'm still a little traumatized still by that. Still not too, okay. Actually. The image yeah. I don't think will ever leave my brain, but here no, we are. Never. Um never. so we've done a couple of those. We're getting ready to go on another one. So Yeah. I'll- so if you want to see more of that, go and check out our Patreon. Also on this episode that we are covering today, which is the Beaumont children, we are going to be doing a live to discuss this case because there's so many things that is it we... a live for our patrons. Yeah, this is also for our patrons. We're doing a live for the patrons on this case that we're going to be reading or talking about, literally right now. Yeah, and so first we do that for some of our cases that are a little more complicated or have a lot of theories and stuff like that because we want to hear from our patrons what their theories are and be able to throw ideas and questions back and forth. So it's just a super fun thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, without saying this is a great time to join Patreon because you're about to get a whole bunch of new content, extra content, (laughs) a lot of extra content. If you join Patreon right now, you will be, you have weeks of stuff to listen to. Right. Yep. All of our bonus stuff is on there. We never, we don't cut it off. So you'll be able to go back and listen and watch every bonus thing that we've ever put out so yeah all right well let's get into our case today so today we are covering the Beaumont children and we have had many requests for this also I have always been fascinated by this case because it is crazy so Jim and Nancy Beaumont married shortly after meeting and had three children Jane who was nine 
Arna, who was seven, and Grant, who was four. Jim worked as a traveling salesman for a linen company, and this meant that he was away quite often, and sometimes just for a couple days, sometimes longer, uh, but he would travel for work. And Jane was very mature for her age, because she's only nine, remember, but this is also in 1966, so... Children spent a lot more time running around on their own, unsupervised. Yeah, I mean, a seven, nine-year-old and four-year-old traveling distance that these kids did today by themselves would be weird. It would be weird. And this takes place in Australia. So Jane was very mature for her age and wanted to be a teacher. She was well-spoken and when she got excited would sometimes stutter. She was shy and cautious. She often watched over her siblings and was very protective of them. Arna was more outgoing and had a very active imagination and would often perform concerts for her family. Little Grant was described as a gentleman and would shadow his father often. And in 1966, the family lived in a suburb home on Harding Street in Somerton Park. The children often caught the bus to go to the beach where they were accustomed to being unsupervised. So on January 25th, the children wanted to go to the beach and their dad dropped them off on his way to work. Glenelg Beach, where it would be bustling with locals attempting to escape the sweltering heat of the day. It was a very busy location for locals and tourists with a heat wave going on. The beach was a perfect place to go and cool off. Yeah. So Jane is very responsible with her siblings, and Jane would never let anything happen to them. Right, so their parents weren't nervous about them being at the beach alone. The following day on January 26th, which was a Wednesday, people in Adelaide were preparing to celebrate Australia Day, and it was a scorching hot day. The children wanted to go back to the beach and begged their mother to take them. Nancy wasn't a fan of the beach, but she told the children that she would take them after her housework was done. But they grew impatient, and she agreed to let them go alone. She decided the bus would be the best option because of the heat, even though the beach was within walking distance. Mm -hmm. So the beach is actually really close to where they live, but it's so hot out that she doesn't want them walking in the heat. Makes sense. Jane was thin with freckles and had sun-bleached hair that was cropped into a short bob. She was wearing a pink one-piece bathing suit with pale green shorts. So Arna was described as plump, which I would say Arna looked like a normal child to me. She She's not even plump. If you look at the pictures of her, she looks just like a normal child. But so she's I don't know described why. as plump everywhere. But I'm assuming maybe it's because Jane was so scrawny that that's why maybe. they described her as plump. I don't know. It's so bizarre. She looks like a normal-sized child to me. I disagree with that. But that is what it says literally everywhere. Literally everywhere. So she had short, dark brown hair, and she was wearing a red and white striped one piece with tan shorts. Grant was thin with short brown hair and wore green and white shorts with green shoes and no shirt. Jane packed three towels and a paperback copy of Little Women in her beach bag. Yep. And Nancy actually gave them eight shillings and a sixpence to buy lunch from the shop and to buy their bus tickets. Jane carefully put it into her white click top purse pouch And they left home at about 8.45 a.m. 
By 10.30 a.m., Nancy had finished her house chores and headed to visit a friend who lived nearby. And around noon, she headed to the diagonal bus stop to meet up with the children, and when the bus got there, they did not get off. Only one adult female did. She assumed that they had missed the bus and would catch the next one. She went home unworried. And once home, a couple of her friends stopped by for a visit. She continued to watch for the children, but by 2 p.m., they still hadn't made an appearance, which was kind of unlike them. Jim would return home early from a business trip just before 3 p.m. They weren't overly worried because an accident involving all three children was unlikely. Right. So he went in search of his children, assuming that they had just missed their bus, but he was unable to locate them at the bus stop or anywhere on the beach. And remember, the beach is really crowded, so it it would be really difficult to scan a huge beach for your children when it's crowded. Mm-hmm. Now, Jim and Nancy went knocking on doors in an attempt to find anyone that had seen their children. When this proved fruitless, they went to the Glenelg Police Station. Yeah. Fruitless. What is the English language? What do you mean? Fruitless. Fruitless. Proven fruitless. Yeah, like it it didn't work out. Like they were unable to find anything. Have you never heard that before? No. Okay. I've never heard fruitless. Really? Something turned up fruitless? Yeah. (laughs) Fruitless. 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 It's a word. Look it up. I'm not questioning whether or not it's a word. I'm questioning the entire English language at this point because... Perfect. What is that? Okay. Now, when this proved fruitless, they went to the Glen Elg police station and reported their children missing. And this was around 5.30 p.m. The police were not very concerned because a kidnapping of three children was unheard of and assured them that they were probably just held up somewhere. The police did search the house, thinking it likely that the children might have been hiding from their parents in order to not get in trouble for being late. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Yes, it is. I'm sure all three children are just hiding in the house, and you guys didn't notice that they were home. Hey, remember that one that one little girl that went missing. She was so she goes missing. The parents call. We've talked. We've had. We've we've had this. We've told the story before on the podcast. Yeah, but we'll go forward again for anybody who wasn't listening. And this right. is off. So so this call comes out that this little girl, three years old, I think, three or four, three or four, she's missing, and it's starting to get dark out. It's late, and they call the police, and multiple police officers search the house to make sure and she's not in it. Also. You got to remember that what happened was the entire neighborhood band together. The whole entire town is out looking for oh, this hundreds girl. and hundreds of people showed up searching. People was, have their drones out. I was even out there. And and part of that is because it's all wooded area mm-hmm. behind their house. And so the thought was maybe she wandered into the woods and Everybody was terrified. It was super cold. It was not good weather. Yeah, you. we had the whole, the whole, I don't know if it was cold. I don't know. I it was it, cold. I thought it was over the summer. No, it was still really cold. Oh. Okay, well, it was, like, there were dogs, drones, all searching, yeah. all, like, literally everybody was out looking for this little girl. 
And then, like, a couple hours into the search, all of a sudden, the grandma pulls up and just walks inside the house and finds the little girl hiding in a bedroom. She was, like, sleeping, like, in a bed, like, just, like, I don't know. Like, nobody saw her. I don't know. So we do know that children end up hiding in houses sometimes, right? But three children? I don't know about that. Yeah. By the next day, there was a $250 reward being offered. The South Australian police log does detail slightly different than what I have read everywhere else because they state that at 7.20 p.m., South Australian woman reports children missing, reported to Glen Elg police by father minutes before. Father and police carried out thorough search of the beach area. 8.40 p.m., local police searched the Brighton foreshore Officers also searched West Beach and Henley Beach for children. 9.50 p.m., Sea Rescue Squadron volunteers offer to search coastline. Police decline official expression, but advise squadron can search on their own accord. 10 p.m., police check with father who reports he has spoken with friends and relatives and cannot locate the children. The father authorizes police to supply radio stations with public announcement. 10.17 p.m., three police officers report that they have searched vessels at Boat Haven and surrounding lawns, with the children not sighted. Hmm. So it looks like nothing went out to the public, really, until after 10 p.m. But remember, it sounds like the police didn't really think the children had been kidnapped. They were just like... Hiding, lost, whatever. They got held up somewhere, something like that. So the beach was scoured by police, but the beaches were crowded late into the day and the heat continued on. There was no sign of their towels, bags, clothes. This would suggest that they didn't drown in the ocean. Right, because they're thinking maybe the little one goes into the water and the two older girls try to save him or something like that and they all end up drowning. But their belongings are nowhere to be found. So Nancy was a wreck and felt responsible for allowing the children to go on their own. She worried that their love for each other was so strong that if one of them was hurt or fell into a hole, the others may have followed or wouldn't leave their sibling. The thought of a kidnapping seemed impossible. Yeah, and she actually had to be sedated. So roadblocks were set up, train stations were monitored, property and buildings were searched cab drivers were out searching jim actually used to be a cab driver so all of his old co-workers they all went out looking in their cabs and jane's brownie group was out on their bikes searching for their missing friend oh that's so sad so sad her little girl scout friends Mm mm-hmm a woman came forward saying that she had seen three children at 7 p.m. at the Padawalonga Boat Haven near the water's edge. She said she spoke to them and that they weren't from the area. Police actually decided to drain the marina, which was about 70 acres, but nothing was found. And hundreds of witnesses actually came forward. There were reports of the children being seen everywhere. And we know that any three children anywhere in Australia are going to be the Beaumont children. With multiple witnesses coming forward, they were able to establish what sightings were more reliable. 
So at 10.15, the children were seen boarding the bus at the diagonal station. The driver remembered them, and an elderly couple recalled Jane reading Little Women on the bus, while the younger kids kept putting their arms out the windows, and they thought this was to try to get a rise out of Jane. I believe it. I believe it. Little, sister, little siblings are assholes. If I said, don't stick your hand out the window. Or if you were trying to, like, enjoy a book, they would definitely be, like, trying to get your attention. Yeah. Yeah. They got off the bus at Mosley Street. It was here that the mailman, who knew the children from his route, saw them walking down the street holding hands and heard one of the children say, Look, there's our postie. And little Grant waved hello. Now, the postman couldn't remember what time he had seen the children, but police believed that it had to have been in the morning because he couldn't remember if it was morning or afternoon when he had seen them. Okay. But because there were no other sightings of the children near the bus stop in the afternoon, they're assuming that this took place in the, in the morning. morning. Yeah. Right. So they were seen playing in the shallow water north of the jetty. So shortly after 11 a.m., the children left the water and headed near the Cooley Reserve where they laid out their towels. A school friend of Jane's had seen them there. Right. And other people had as well. So this seemed like a credible series yeah. of events. Multiple witnesses had seen a man at the beach that day hanging around the children. He was described as being in his 30s, about 6'4", and was wearing a blue Speedo with distinct white stripes. He was tall and slender with blonde hair, and he was described as very sun-baked and looked like he spent a lot of time in the sun. He laid his towel near the children and soon, the children were running around and interacting with the man. So a lot of people on the beach described it as this was somebody the children knew mm. or seemed to be. And other witnesses said that the children seemed very comfortable with him. Before noon, the children entered Winslow's Cake Shop, where they had purchased lunch before. And it was also right near the bus stop. The shop owner said that Jane had paid... With a one-pound note, they bought five pastries, six finger buns, and two large soft drinks, and one of the children said, and a pie for the man. The shop owner thought that this was unusual because the children had never bought this many items or spent this much money in the shop before. And also, remember that their mom had not given them that much money. Yeah, and he also said that he had never seen them pay with a one-pound note before. Right. And they probably never have even had that much money in their possession before. So the man probably gave them money. Mm-hmm. Then didn't go into the shop with them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The next sighting of them was near the surf club talking to the same blonde man. And he asked an older couple, quite loudly actually, if they had seen anyone going through their things and said that someone had nicked their money. He then went back to the children and started helping the girls put their shorts on over their bathing suits. And one of the witnesses thought this was odd because the girls seemed too old to really need help putting on their shorts. They were. Yeah. And this was around 12.15. So at this point, they've already missed the bus. The noon bus, anyway. Mm -hmm. That was the last confirmable sighting of the children. A sketch was drawn up of the man 
but a lot of details could not be remembered. Which this is pretty common. I mean, like we did, I've done, we did tests when I was in school about like, we would, we had like random people walk into our classroom, say something and walk out without saying anything. And we had no idea that it was part of anything. Yeah. And then later we were asked to remember what details what happened? Because what happened was weird. They came in, they yelled something in the middle of the room, and then they walked out. Right. The person was not from our class or anything. And no, not one person could remember every single detail. Right. Not one person could remember what he said, exactly what he was wearing. Like, nobody could exactly remember. Not one person in the room could remember every single detail. So, right. Well, and that's pretty normal, right? I mean... Especially in a situation like this, you're at a crowded beach, it's somebody you don't know, and you just see what you think is a family interacting on the beach. Mm -hmm. And even if you take note of that and you're like, oh, that's weird, the chances of you... Remembering specific details. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty observant. I observe details pretty well, but not even I could remember. I got his shirt color wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. Now, Nancy... When hearing about this man, she recalled that her daughter, Arna, had been teasing Jane and said, Jane's got a boyfriend down at the beach, and she had thought that this was just the girl teasing about some boy that Jane had met on a previous outing. But now she thought that maybe this man, this sun-baked man, had actually befriended her children at an earlier time. So the theory became that the children had met the man before. Totally possible. Ah. It just makes my, like, heart hurt, makes my stomach turn. Weeks go by, and nothing is found. A 500-pound reward was offered, and the local community thought that it wasn't enough, and with donations, it grew to 10,000 pounds. And the Beaumonts said that they would sell their house to pay more. Can you, I just literally cannot imagine losing all three of my children like this. I literally just can't. Did you know that actually also this has to do with three children? Three children is the hardest number of children to have. I believe it. Voted by parents. Like parents who have in like a large amount of children said that when they had three, it was the worst number of kids to have. Well, I always say that going from two to three was the hardest for me. And then everything after that was the same. It was all the same. Yeah, that's what they say, yeah. is that after three, everything's the same after that. But having well, three was the Well, because two worst. to three, you become outnumbered. Now, this reward actually led to lots of false leads. And people would even show up on the Beaumont's doorstep. And the Beaumont's listened to every single lead, every single call, every single letter. They listened mm. to everyone. It's tragic. So tragic. And in November of 1966, police flew in Dutch clairvoyant Gerald Crosset. He claimed to have a vision about the Beaumont children. Gerald held a press conference where he said that he believed they were buried under a newly constructed warehouse on an old brick factory. He said that he believed the children had been playing there and had fallen through some planks and that they were underground a bit. Police did not believe that the children were there, but the community actually raised enough money to excavate the property. They found an old staircase, a brick kiln, a piece of cloth, lolly wrappers, lemon peel, but no sign of the children. 
There were other clairvoyants that also made claims about the children being kidnapped or buried, like we have in every kidnapping. In 1968, so two years after the children went missing, the Beaumonts received a letter in the mail, and this letter was supposedly wrote... Supposedly? Supposedly. This letter was supposedly sent by Jane and reads, Dear Mom and Dad, we are safe and there is no need to worry about us. Oh, we really miss you in the past two years at the beach... On the day, we were walking to the bus stop when a man in a car stopped us and asked if we wanted to ride. I said that we did, and that's how it all started. The man would not let us write before. He is letting us write now because he saw the article in the Herald tonight and felt sorry for you both. He watched us a lot for about six weeks and then did not watch us so much. Arna and I often talk about you, but Grant does not remember you at all after more than two years. We have been fed well all the time. I, as well as Arna and Grant, hope you both well. The man said to me just now that he is willing to let us go if you just come over to Victoria to get us as long as you do not call the police. She requested that her father come and get them. The pickup was outside a post office at 8.50 a.m. on February 26th on a Monday. He was to wear a dark coat and light pants. They believed it was possible that the letter was written by Jane, but there was a problem. Arna's name had been spelt wrong. Right, it was missing one of the N's, so it was spelled A-R-N-A instead of A-R-N-N-A. So they contacted the police, even though the letter instructed them not to. Police helped them arrange the trip and tried to keep it a secret. But when a police officer called to book the hotel, he gave his real name. And the owner contacted the local police to have them run a background check on the guest because there had been some recent issues. And after discovering that the man was an officer and involved with the Beaumont case, he called a reporter. Cool. Reporters showed up. While Jim stood outside the post office alone, the post office received a call from a man asking them to inform Jim that he was running late, but would be there. He also called other businesses to do the same, but no one ever showed. Jim stayed outside the post office for three days. The first was from Jane, saying that their captor was very disappointed that the Beaumonts brought the police with them. The second letter was from the captor himself, saying, Dear Mr. and Mrs. Beaumont, I am terribly sorry that I could not hand your children back to you. He said that he had spotted detectives and decided to leave. He said, I am taking good care of the kitties for you. He blamed them and said that it was too late now, but that he would send them home on the train sometime in the future, and they should have their rooms ready for them. A week later, they received a third letter from Jane that said, I want you all to know and never forget, no matter what happens, that we will still love you both very much. So in 1981, handwriting experts were certain one of the letters were written by Jane, but it was later proven with forensic fingerprints 
that it was actually a man who had written them as a joke. The man was just a teenager at the time and had expressed remorse for his part in causing the family pain. So it was just a prank the yeah, whole time. you're an asshole. You're an asshole. Even if you're a teenager, I, you're an asshole. I hope you die a painful death. Okay, that's a little far. I don't care. That's you're, rude. You're a dick either way. That's terrible. And then the parents probably blamed themselves for so long thinking that they got their kids killed because they got the police involved or that they weren't they weren't going to get their kids back because Yeah. Well, because the forensic fingerprinting was not done until like the 80s. Mm-hmm. So the whole time they're thinking this could have been letters from our daughter. Like you're a dick. You're a dick. You're a terrible person. In March of 1986, three suitcases were found in a residential garbage can, and the cases were stuffed with newspaper clippings with things crossed out and comments scribbled in red ink. One of the comments was, not in Sand Hills, in the sewage drain. The police discovered that it had actually belonged to an amateur sleuth who was passionate about the case, and when she died, her family had just thrown out the suitcases. So for a minute, they're like, oh, my God, was this the kidnapper? Nope. All right. And next, we are going to be moving into suspects. Okay, so our first suspect is Harry Phipps. And in 2013, Channel 7 News did their own investigation, and they named Harry Phipps a potential suspect. His son, Hayden Phipps, who was 15 at the time that the children went missing. He claimed that he had seen the children at his childhood home. So, yeah. He also said that he was violently abused by his father. His father died in 2004, but police did a search of the North Plimpton factory that was formerly owned by Mr. Phipps. But they found nothing. They didn't find anything. Yeah. And two men also came forward saying that Harry Phipps had paid them to dig a large hole on the property shortly after the children went missing. They were both given a one-pound note for their work. Mm. Ground-penetrating radar, however, was used, and a section with anomalies was dug up, but nothing was found. The soil was tested, which was paid for by Channel 7 News, and it showed that the soil at the site had been moved. But even after extensive searching, no evidence of the Beaumont children has ever been found there. Okay. Which, remember, one thing that I think we have to keep in mind is there's a reward. Yeah. There's so, a reward. A big reward. A big reward. So I think maybe when some people come forward, they don't realize that the children actually have to be found. Like, either alive or their bodies have to be found, probably, yeah. for that reward to be cashed out. But it's cr- it's crazy that Channel 7 News did their own investigation mm-hmm. and came up with this information. So it's not like this guy came forward to the police. Maybe he did at some point. I'm not yeah, sure. But, yeah. We then have Alan McIntyre and Anthony Monroe. McIntyre's children accused him of being a pedophile and of abusing them. They also claimed that their dad and Monroe had been at the Glendale Beach on Australia Day in 1966. Both came home agitated and there was blood and sand in the car. One also claimed that they had seen the dead children in the boot of the car. Police could find 
no connections, however, to McIntyre, Monroe, or the Beaumont children, or any proof that they were there. McIntyre did later confess that Monroe was the one involved and had shown it up at his house with the children in his trunk. Monroe later pleaded guilty to 10 unrelated child sex crimes and received 10 years with a non-parole period of five years. Okay, so did the guy just find, like, did he just see random kids dead in his friend's no, I don't. I don't think so. Well, I think both dads in these cases were probably abusive, sexually and physically. Yeah. And somehow we have two different eyewitness accounts of seeing the children, which isn't possible, right? Mm-hmm. We have one from the son of Harry Phipps, and we have one from the son of McIntyre. So I don't know. But there's more. Another one that we have is Arthur Brown, and he was a suspect in the murders of two sisters named Judith and Susan McKay, who were five and seven. So right in that same mm-hmm. age range that two of the kids are in. two of the Beaumont children were. He was not arrested for 30 years, and after his arrest, his photo was circulated, and a witness came forward saying, that he resembled the man who abducted Joanne Ratcliffe and Kirsten Arthur. Now, this man has been compared to the sketch of the man that was with the Beaumont children the day at the beach. This is not the first time that this This connection has been made. made, Right. We'll also, we'll talk about that case when we talk about similar cases, because I do think it's worth mentioning that case. But by the time that Arthur Brown was captured, because remember, he's not found for 30 years. Yeah. He suffered from Alzheimer's and died without ever being convicted of any crime. Oh. I know. That's so annoying. But they do believe that he is responsible for Judith and Susan McKay, regardless. But they've never been able to connect him to Joanne Ratcliffe and Kirsten Arthur or the Beaumont children. So we have Derek Ernest Percy. He abducted and murdered a 12-year-old at another beach in Australia. He was found incompetent to stand trial, but he was a suspect of many crimes against children. And he said he was in Adelaide at the same time of the disappearance, but he was only 17 at the time. Right. So his general crimes kind of match up Mm -hmm. with what you would suspect, but they don't think that he's old enough to... Yeah, because didn't they say that he the man looked older that was talking yes, to Yes, like mid thirties or something. Yeah. So I don't think I don't think that Derek Percy was old enough to be involved in the Beaumont children. Yeah, because I also feel like if that was him, then if someone saw a seventeen year old with those kids, I think they probably would have just assumed it was a sibling. And then we have James Ryan O'Neill, who had kidnapped and murdered young boys and had been in Adelaide many times and he had bragged that he was responsible for murdering and kidnapping of the children but he was ruled out yeah they're i mean which i yeah i mean i guess he must have not it wasn't possible for him to have done it even though he bragged about doing it yeah i think i think this is just somebody who wanted the attention attention yeah okay gross now the last one we're going to talk about is Harry Phibbs, and he was a millionaire businessman who lived in Adelaide. Didn't we just talk about Harry Phibbs? No. Harry Phipps. 
Are you sure? Harry Phibbs? No, they're two different people. Harry Phibbs and Harry Phipps. Okay. Yeah. So this is Harry Phibbs, not Harry Phipps, who we already talked about. I'm confused. I think I think it's the same person. Why? I'm convinced. Why? Too close. <laughs> no. Okay. So Harry Phibbs was a millionaire businessman who lived in Adelaide at the time of the disappearance and lived in walking distance to the beach. He also resembled the man last seen with the children. Naturally. An investigator had gone to the house that he lived in at the time, and Phibbs is long since dead, but his second wife still lived there in the house. And while there, the investigator saw an antique click-top purse sitting on a shelf, and when he asked her about it, she became defensive and said that she had bought it at a second-hand store the week before. He found this very strange because she's a millionaire, has lots of money, and it just seemed it just seemed strange to him. He informed police, but when they returned to the house to collect it, she had thrown it away, and it was nowhere to be found. His son, who was a teenager at the time, said that his father had come home with three young children who he never saw again. So here we have another child suspicious claiming that their father yeah. has come home with three children the purse is weird though purse is very weird. i actually do find the purse very weird as well and the fact that she threw it away hey, dude there's a criminal minds episode where the kid the, the girl has memories come up from when she was a really young kid about her dad kidnapping children oh yeah we just i just watched that one yeah, <laughs> yeah. happens criminal minds yeah can always connect everything back to criminal <laughs> minds but um i would say that it could be dreams. Like, it could literally be the kid. Them I mean, it could be, it. but I doubt that three different fathers came home with a set of three children. Well, that's what I'm saying. Some of them could have just been dreams. Like, right. them hearing about the case as a kid and then dreaming Having about it. Having it be tra- a traumatic thing. Yeah, because you watch it, it on yeah. the news or you hear about your parents talk about it and then you're like a little kid and you dream about yeah. well, the and kids and then you get confused. You know, your memory. Well, and out of those, I do like the Harry Phipps the best because he lives within walking distance of the beach. The purse. And the purse. Right. And he resembles the sketch. And he's the right age. However, I don't find compelling evidence that any of these suspects are responsible. No. Okay. Jim and Nancy actually left their home as they had the day the children left. Their clothes and toys sat out. And they just couldn't bring themselves to remove them for a really long time. However, the couple did eventually get divorced and leave the home behind. Mm. I mean, this would be, you have your three children together and then they're gone. And Nancy actually tried going out on the road with her husband for work. Like they tried to put it behind them and they just couldn't move on. Yeah. I don't know how your life is the same after something like that. Well, Jim actually said... That life wasn't any good without the children, not after they had had them. Hmm. I did want to revisit the Joanne Ratcliffe and Kirsty Gordon. Uh, and by the way, I did say Kirsten Arthur earlier. I meant Kirsten Gordon. Not sure how I got Arthur in my head, but I think it was because we were talking about Arthur Brown at the time. But it's Joanne Ratcliffe and Christine. Gordon. So Joanne was 11 and 
Kirsty was four, right? Okay. They are both at a football game at a stadium, crowded stadium full of people. Four-year-old Kirsty is there with her grandmother, and Joanne is there with her parents. Now, they're sitting by each other, and they knew each other as well. And at one point, Kirsty says that she needs to go to the bathroom. So Joanne offers to take her to the bathroom. Yeah. She's 11. I would have mm-hmm. zero issue with that. They go to the bathroom. They come back. Everything's fine. Later on in the game, they need to use the bathroom again. So they go to the bathroom, and they never come back. Okay. They completely vanish. Well, maybe not completely. There are actually witnesses who see a man carrying a young girl. Oh, no. Did he carry her out like she was throwing a fit? He, yep. like, smothered her a little bit? Like Yep. Well, not only that, but Joanne is chasing after him, holding on to his shirt, trying to make him stop. And... They thought that it was just a parent taking the child who was pitching a fit out of the stadium. Oh, my God. So multiple people actually saw this altercation, and multiple people didn't think that it was anything sinister. No. And the sketch of that man does resemble the sketch of the man at the beach. Now, I will say... This is a very similar kidnapping in some ways, but in Mm -hmm. other ways, not so much. Because he took, whoever kidnapped the Beaumont children took great care to befriend them and make them comfortable. He spent a lot of time at that beach. Right. So, or like they, they, people thought that they already knew each other. Right. So this is a little different than that, but still very, very traumatizing. Mm Mm-hmm. For sure. There are, I will say, a lot of other similar or not similar, but a lot of kidnappings in Australia where multiple children are taken. Yeah. So I don't know. It's crazy, crazy. Um, I'll put a link to some articles uh, that I did come across. One has, I think, like four similar kidnapping cases. So if you want to look for more of that, you can. We are not going to have a bunker talk on this episode because we are actually going to do a live on this episode. Yes. So for our Patreons, we are going to do a live so that everybody can discuss their theories and all of that stuff um, and let us know what you guys think and we can all kind of like just talk it out on there. We are going to do it a full week after the episode posts so that all of our Patreons have an opportunity to listen to the episode before we do the live. Yeah. And we've already posted a poll to do that for the times anyway. So if you're a Patreon, go and fill that out. Now, if you're not a Patreon, you should probably join Patreon. But either way, we have new Patreons. Yes. Or new Patrons. Patrons? Patreons? Patrons. I don't know. Patrons. I don't know. So we have, new to Patreon, we have Jason Goodrell. Hi, Jason. Welcome to Patreon. We have Reggie Gregg. Hi, Reggie. We have Barry Lazarus. 
and Noelle Bennett. Hi, guys. Welcome to Patreon. We really, really appreciate you guys. Thank you for supporting us and making it so that we can continue to, to literally make episodes for this podcast. To do what we're doing. Yeah. Thank you so much. And we look forward to... I look forward to giving you guys extra content. Yes. I know we leave for our trip in one week. Awesome. Yeah. So we leave in like one week. Yeah. Super exciting. All right. Well, thank you so much, you guys. And we will talk to you later. Bye. You can like rent a miniature horse with your kids. I and what, know. just walk around with your miniature yeah, horse? No, my time with a miniature horse. <laughs> okay. Oh my god, they're like little. Why you just get to walk miniature horses? I guess. What the hell? That is so cute. It is really cute, actually. Can what? we just hang out with the miniature horses? I don't want to take them for a walk. That looks weird. Okay, focus up. <laughs> I'm sorry. Madison's getting distracted again. Welcome to Soul Haven Ranch, where we share the unconditional love between horses and human. Is our oh, where the sharing of unconditional love between horses and human is our passion. When you arrive, stroll out of the barn, gaze into the pasture. It's time to choose a miniature horse that you'll be spending the next hour with, one on one. Your experience begins in the barn. You connect with grooming the head of your miniature horse. You will be brushing mane to tail and body. You also learn how to clean their hooves. Basically, a healthy horse has healthy feet. Basically, quotes. they've tricked people into paying $50 to groom their horses. <laughs> to literally take care and feed their horses. Their mini horses. Hey, guys, I have a brilliant idea. We will never have to brush, clean, or feed these horses again. Or We're going to fucking charge people $50 to come in here and do it for us. We guaranteed your soul will be touched, and we hope you leave with new learnings and special connection and appreciated appreciation. I don't want anybody touching my soul. For our horses. Willing to share the unconditional love of this experience is best suited for folks who want a one-on-one interaction with our miniature horses. Okay, guys. I like that the guy on the first picture is like this muscular, like. Obviously doing it with his, like, it's obviously for their two daughters. Obviously. But it is like this buff guy, buff bald man walking next to a miniature horse. So if you're going to Florida anytime soon and you want to spend some time getting your soul touched by hanging out with a miniature horse, Maddie's found the ad for you. You also, if you don't want your own miniature horse, you still have to pay $20 for viewing. For spectating. To watch other people walk mini horses? What the fuck? I can't. And they're basically just like walking their mini horses down like a, a like paved street. I don't even know what's going on here. Why is that guy walking a miniature horse by himself? He's having his soul touched by a miniature horse, Mom. I don't want to. He's having go the one on one unconditional connection <laughs> with the miniature Oh my god. I don't like it. You can't even ride them. Oh my Can god. Can I ride the miniature horse? No, you can't ride a miniature <laughs> horse, mom. That thing's at like your knees. I'm not paying 50 bucks if I can't ride the miniature horse. <laughs>